Let's turn together to Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 is on page uh, 1001-1002 uh, of your church Bibles. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we'll read uh, the, the whole chapter. Uh, we've just had this uh, incredible uh, opening section where, where uh, the, the apostle or, or whoever has written this book uh, has, has just made this uh, amazing uh, and, and rather wonderful and beautiful uh, argument for, for how Christ and why Christ is uh, superior to, to the angels, the, the most incredible creatures you could, you could possibly imagine uh, and, and could, could ever fear seeing uh, Christ is greater than. And so he goes on from there and, and brings us to sort of his, uh, I'd say his, his main and, and primary point that he's going to build on throughout uh, the remainder of his letter. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 and reading uh, the, the entire chapter. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us, by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than, you, you, excuse me, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell you of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forevermore. Uh, we probably remember uh, that time, I think it was either earlier this year or it was, it was late last year, 
uh, when the government tested a new emergency alert system and we all got uh, a message on our phones, a, a ping, uh, you know, and a, a loud noise and, and vibration and, and it got everyone's attention, didn't it? I think it was on a 3, 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, and we, we, all got our, we all got this, this ping and we, we paused for a moment and we, we took notice of it, didn't we? Uh, even though we knew it was happening in advance, it was a, it was a new thing, it was kind of neat. Uh, and we were all happy that it was simply a test. And I have no idea under what circumstances uh, they might deploy this system in the future, but I imagine it would have to be quite serious. And that if our phones all uh, got a ping like that again, it would get all of our attention very quickly, wouldn't it? As we come to, to Hebrews chapter 2, uh, we see the, the point that the writer has been building up to. Again, he gave us in chapter 1 this incredible statement of who Christ is and, and what he's done and why he's supreme to, to all beings uh, in all the universe, including angels. Now we get the point of it all. This little church of, of Jewish converts, probably a, a house church uh, somewhere uh, in or around the city of Rome, was, was in danger of going apostate of leaving behind faith in Christ precisely because they were starting to question the very nature of Christ himself. And the writer of Hebrews here in, in, one ver, in verse 1 gives a very clear warning, doesn't he? And a, a picture of, of the danger that they find themselves in. He says, therefore, we must pay close, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. I love the way he puts that. He says, pay, pay closer attention lest we drift away. I'm willing to bet that when he, he uses that phrase, drifting away, he's not, he's not picturing a, a modern uh, swimming pool where if you're drifting away in a, in a swimming pool, you're just, you're just lounging, aren't you? Uh, you're not going to, to float very far. You're not going to go anywhere very quickly. What, what the, the writer means when he talks about drifting away is, is he has in mind uh, something more like, more like the Thames, or if you ever go down to the Thames, whether it's high tide or low tide, you see it flowing very, very quickly. Sometimes out, sometimes in. But if you were adrift on the Thames uh, or out at the, at the ocean, uh, you're going to, to drift miles away from where you should be uh, in just a day's time. And there's always that, that risk that you could find yourself wrecked upon the rocks. And that's what, I, what the writer has in mind here. He wants to get the attention of the, the ancient church. And he should get our attention this evening as well. I believe he wants us to see and, and to hold fast as our anchor to the, uh, a very simple truth. That there's only one way to be saved. That there's only one way to be made right with a holy God. And that is through Jesus Christ. This is the entire theme of the, the whole book of Hebrews. This is his whole point in the entire rest of this letter. There's only one way to be saved. And that is through Christ Jesus. And he sets out to, to prove this point by focusing all his attention on the work and supremacy of Christ and how that's woven out throughout uh, the history of the entire world. There's three things we should see from our passage this evening. One, that there's only one way to be saved because God is just. Two, that there's only one to be, way to be saved because Christ alone reigns. And three, there's only one way to be saved because Christ alone is for you. So first let's see that there's only one way to be saved, because God is just. In many ways, what the writer of Hebrews argues is, is simply the gospel message, isn't it? But he does so in such a, a profoundly beautiful way. Last week we learned a, a little bit about 
uh, the angels, and we said that the, the name angel means messenger, and, and uh, the, the writer of Hebrews uh, plays on this knowledge in verse 2, doesn't he, when he says the message of the angels, the messengers, uh, proved reliable. What they said was, was right and accurate. What was that message? He says it's, it's that every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. What he's, what he's actually talking about is the law, isn't he? And the, the Old Testament law of God, in particular the, the moral law. The angels were, were present when the, the law of God was, was given, when the Lord spoke to Moses, when the law was written out. They testified to it. And what the law does is it, it points us to the character of God. The law is a, a reflection of, of God's perfect and holy character, isn't it? Precisely because it points us to how to be perfect and holy and righteous like God. In other words, God can give the law because he can keep the law, which makes sense, doesn't it? I know we find this confusing in, in our modern world. It was a rather, ins- a rather insulting thing uh, a year or two ago when, when we learned that uh, while we were all locked down with, you know, in, in fear of COVID, when we were seeking to, to keep the rules and to avoid being around friends and, and, and even family members, we were trying to keep the law that was put in place by the government, that we learned that members of that same government, the writers of the law, were, were having parties. They were breaking the laws that they gave. And things like that actually have a detrimental impact on how we understand God's laws, doesn't it? It, it makes us think, well, you know, if uh, God must be uh, above the law, but, but absolutely not. No, God, God created the law. He, he gave the law because it's a reflection of of who he is. It's a reflection of his power and his perfection and his holiness. So this evening, let's try to, to start thinking differently about the law of God. It's, it's perfect because he's perfect. And he calls us to keep it in order to be, to be perfect and good as he, as he created us to be. When God made man, he said it was very good. The problem is we can't keep it. And that's what Hebrews tells us, isn't it? He says that every, every transgression, every disobedience, receives a, a just retribution. There are penalties for, for breaking God's law, for sinning against him. That ultimate penalty is, is death. And that's what we all experience at some point as humans, isn't it? We all stare death in the face. This is a theme that he'll develop as we go on, but, but many will say, why would, why would God condemn me for, for the little stuff? Why would he condemn uh, you know, the, the little child, the innocent little child who, who maybe you know, steals a sweet or sneaks a biscuit? The answer is because those, those actions are not, are not isolated incidents, but they actually reflect who we are and they, they reflect our hearts, hearts that are given over to sinful affections and desires, hearts that that are continuously in rebellion and drawing us further and further away from the God who made us to be his. They're hearts that are prone to to doing the things we ought uh, ought not to do and and that far too often keep us from doing the things that we ought to do. The writer of Hebrews wants to remind these believers who would have been uh, steeped in the law of Moses 
of the sheer terror and inescapability of God's judgment and offer them hope. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is actually the most most brilliant and, and, and common sense argument possible. If we understand the law properly and the consequences of the law, uh, uh, the consequences of the law properly, then how could we neglect such a, such a great salvation that's been offered to us? It's, it's, it's a salvation by grace, isn't it? It's, it's Christ has taken the penalty for us and we receive him by faith. That's such a great salvation. How, could, how can we neglect it? especially when God himself is so clearly born witness to it. If we understand the law correctly, then we, we all understand that we're a people without hope unless God were to save us. And the wonder of Christ Jesus is that he has saved us. And it is a, a great salvation. That's, that's the whole point of all of Hebrews, that there's one way to be saved, and it's through faith in Christ Jesus. And this is what we see in our next two points. Our second point this evening is that there's only one way to be saved because Christ alone reigns. Salvation in Christ is, is a great salvation because Christ Jesus is, is on equal footing with God. Did you notice that in our reading? He is God incarnate. And he's taken his place on the throne to rule and reign. So where else could you go? Who else or what else could you possibly put your hope in for salvation? Do you, want to, do you want to put it in human philosophy? Do you want to put it in, in men who've written uh, thick books or women who've written uh, really intelligent works? Do you want to put it in, in your own personal experience, in, in uh, the truthiness, when, when you feel it uh, inside you and it just feels right, it feels spiritual? Absolutely not. We have to trust in, in this great salvation. There's nothing and no one more powerful than Christ Jesus to trust in. The writer, once again, takes us to the Old Testament to make this point. What has God said about the Messiah? Exactly what, well, exactly what we've seen in Christ. He took on flesh. He came down and was made a little lower than the angels. And has now been crowned with, with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Here's the thing. The pressures of life and of faith are, are massive, aren't they? This little house church around Rome with its, its handful of believers sitting in a, in a small room together hearing this, this uh, letter read were under constant threat of harm. And they, would have, they would have understood what it is to, to wake up every morning and have to decide, am I going to, am I going to honor Christ? Or am I going to fill in the gap? Am I going to honor Christ or am I going to be accepted by my family who, who stuck with the synagogue in Judaism? Am I going to honor Christ or am I going to uh, uh, be able to go and work my job in the secular Roman world who've, who've rejected me because they think I'm stirring up conflict? And many of you feel these tensions every single day, don't you? The world that we live in says, kind of like the Romans, it's, it's okay if you want to be a Christian as long as you're 
the kind that affirms everything we believe in as a society. If your religion makes you a better Roman citizen, if it makes you a better synagogue member, in the case of these believers, then, then it's fine. Our, our world today says the same, doesn't it? As long as your faith doesn't rub against my, the majority views of the day, then we're okay. As long as you continue to affirm the right things, and the right things are anything that pops into my head, then it's fine. What the writer of the Hebrews says is we have a greater problem than even these outside forces. We have the law of God to answer to and for. And we cannot do that if we're going to allow the world to dictate the terms of, of our salvation. The only one with the right to do that is Christ Jesus. And Jesus can do it because he is the Christ, the one that got appointed to, to be the heir of all things. The one who was sent by God to break the curse of the law and of sin. Listen to this from, from verses 8 and 9. This is, this is beautiful. Now I'm putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside his control. Now listen to this. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. That's how we feel, isn't it? I can't see how Christ is in control of all, all things, how everything is subject to him. Well, you're not alone. The, the church uh, in, in uh, the first century felt the same way. You could, they couldn't see how it all worked when they were faced with the pressures of, of serious persecution. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Verse 9, let this, let this sink in. But we see him. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. That's an incredible statement, isn't it? Which is why this next illustration is going to be a bit jarring, given, given the beauty of this passage. But here goes. There's a, uh, well, I thought it was a brilliant film uh, in the 90s called Wayne's World. Um, and there, in the second film, there's, there's a scene where the main character stops in the street. And he looks, and there's these, these two guys with a, uh, a window, a glass window. And they're just walking back and forth across the street with it. And then he looks a little beyond them, and there's these guys, and they're, they're in the road uh, stacking up crates full of melons. And he stops and he asks them, what, what are you guys doing? And the guys with the glass say, oh, it's, it's our job just to walk back and forth with this pane of glass. And the guys with the melons say, it's, it's our job to, to make sure there's, there's lots of melons, because we need lots and lots of melons stacked up. And Wayne says, huh you got to wonder if this is going to pay off later. And, and sure enough, in the climactic scene, Wayne is behind the wheel of his car. He's driving at breakneck speed. And he uh, spectacularly crashes through the pane of glass, still being carried back and forth by, by these two workers. And then he, following that, he, he immediately runs into and, and splatters uh, all of the, the crates of melons all over the street. Yeah, there, was, there was indeed a payoff, wasn't there? at the end, even if you didn't see at the time how, how it was all going to work out. And, and the promises of Christ are, are really all a setup. 
You know, that film, they were they were quite cheeky. After after Wayne crushes all that stuff, the workers just kind of look at each other, smile, nod their heads, and, and walk away. Like, yep, this is how it was meant to happen. And that was really cool. And you get the sense that that the the work of Christ it's it's an incredible setup. We can't see how it's all going to work out, but we can be confident that that it will. Because in some ways, it's 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 the the great salvation is is just so so clearly spectacular that you can see what's coming and, 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 and you just can't avoid it. You know, we can't see how it's all going to work out now, but, but we can be confident that it will because we can see laid out before us the one who, who suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for you and I. That he might taste death for all. And if all this is true, we shouldn't doubt it. The Lord himself, along with the angels, testified to it, doesn't he? Then we come to our last point this evening. There's only one way to be saved, because Christ alone is for you. And the great truth of the gospel, the real good news, is that, that Jesus is great and powerful, and, and for you and I, and he's for you and I. We see that in these last few verses in, in 10 through 18, don't we? Jesus took on our, our flesh, verse 11, for he who, who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source or, or flesh. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. See, Jesus is, is for you. He loves you because he's, he's like you. And that he took on flesh and inhabited this world of sin and darkness, the very world that you inhabit. He's walked it. He suffered as you suffered. But even greater because he, he suffered death to, to sanctify you, to make you righteous before God so that you may be holy and righteous like him and raised up to the heavens with him. Now listen to this, the, the contrast in verses 14 and 15 because this is really important. He says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Did you read that? The devil wants to deceive you. He wants you to, to not only taste death, but he wants you to be swallowed up by it. How does he do it? Well, by, by presenting you with, with all the things other than, than Christ that we might just think could make us, could make us righteous before God. All of the things that we think just might make us whole. Sometimes, sometimes these are even good things. You know, he, he caused the Jews to think that, that the law of God could be kept if, if they just added a few more rules to it. And so that's what they did. They added rules and, and traditions, and many of them perished without knowing salvation. In our day, what, what does the devil say? He says that, that you can be free if you just embrace who you are. If you just be you. And as long as you demand that, that everyone else affirms it, if you can get the affirmation of, of absolutely everyone else, then, then you're going to be okay. You're going to be whole. And many are perishing because we struggle to, to escape these lies. That's the, the great contrast, isn't it? The devil with, with Christ Jesus. We're told exactly why we can't 
escape this in verse 15. The devil is, is an evil taskmaster. He knows that we all fear death. And so he offers us the things that, that look good to our sinful souls, that speak deeply to our longings, and yet they leave us completely and utterly without hope. And more importantly, exposed to the judgment of God that we talked about earlier. Every rebellion is subject to a just retribution. The devil knows this, and yet he longs for you to perish because he doesn't love you. You are to him merely a plaything, another body to add to the pile of the perishing. There's only one way to be saved. And that is through the only one who is for you. That is through the only one who, who truly and genuinely loves you. And that's Christ Jesus, our Savior. The one who is willing to be made a little lower than the angels. The one who is willing to be made like us. The one who calls you brother or sister. Who through his sacrifice became the perfect great high priest. The only one who can make proper propitiation for our sins. He is for you. He's able even now to, to help you in your temptation. Did you see that? The, the beauty of, of Christ is that we, we see him, in him the, the very definition of what, of what love is. The love of the Father and so desiring to make his people righteous and holy that he would, he would give his Son. The love of the Son and that uh, that he would lay aside the glory of heaven and enter into our world and be made lower than the angels so that we might be raised up to glory with him. There's so much we could say about, about these verses and I've, I've not covered them well. But I think it's it best to simply leave it at these, these simple words. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to be made right with a righteous and holy God. And it's not through the law. It's not through the promises of this world. It's not through the promises of of the devil it's through the God who is just and who alone reigns and who alone is, is for you and, and loves you that God that so loved us that he gave his one and only son of who we can barely begin to fathom the incredible wonders of his, his power and his beauty and his character but we can be assured of his love for us because we've seen it displayed at the cross of our salvation. There's one way to be saved. That's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray.